Matthew 7, 13 through 23 is the narrow and the wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. And then Jesus continues to teach here in this passage. He says, true and false prophets. He says, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they focus their ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Now, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Then he continues with this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, what a passage. You know, as we continue um, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount um, this week, and we'll finish that up next week. Um, we got to an interesting place here. Wesley asked me a few weeks ago about speaking while he was out of town. And then he told me what passage he was on. I went, no wonder you want to leave town when we get to this section. <laughs> it is some of the, uh, some of the hardest stuff and, and eye-opening and kind of shake things up, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I was kind of going one direction with this this week. And uh, there's some events that happened this week that kind of opened my eyes to make it a little bit different. But a few weeks ago when we first started the message on the Sermon on the Mount... I was speaking to a friend about, you know, just quiet time and developing some devotional time. He said one of the things that he was doing was taking the message from his pastor during that week and just trying to live it out that week. I said, well, we're preaching through the the Beatitudes this week. He goes, oh, that's great. You ought to take a Beatitude each day and try to practice that. And I looked at him and said, have you read some of those lately? (laughs) You know, they're not the the easiest thing to live out on a daily basis. And so that is kind of this whole message that Jesus is preaching here to the crowd and the multitude, that things have got to be different, that the old way of doing religious things and the old way of religious leadership and the old way of of kind of doing things, there's a better way to do it. And so that's kind of what I want us to look at this morning. I heard a story this week, and a lady was being interviewed on the news, and she made this statement. She goes, last Sunday, I was sitting in church listening to my pastor, and he said some things in the sermon that made me think, you know, I ought to practice some of these things during the week. He said that on Monday, she got up, and she used her quiet time and her devotional time, and she was reflecting on the message from the pastor and, and the new series that were going on. And on Tuesday morning, she said she got up, and she reflected on those passages, and you know, she kind of prepared her heart and you know, was doing some of the things, the practical things that was from this message. On Wednesday morning, she got up, and she said she w- <clears throat> went through the same scenario, you know, kind of doing her devotion time, preparing her heart you know, for grounding in the Lord and just kind of anchoring in Him. On Wednesday afternoon, she comes face-to-face with a potential killer. And that's Antoinette Huff, and you've heard a lot about her in the news. And she credits that everything that she was able to do because of the message that she heard on Sunday and the practical things that she was able to apply. And so I, I kind of went back to this passage and go, oh my gosh, you know, what practical things can we pull out of this that if I'm going to reflect on this each morning, that I can put it into practice on whoever I come face-to-face with this week. 
you know, that, that whatever the person that I encounter that is hurting, that's in need, that, that needs something. And so I want to look at some three, th- three things from this passage that kind of gets us in the right place to be in the position to allow God to intervene in somebody else's life or open our heart to where someone can intervene into our lives. Now, you and I may not come face-to-face with a gunman this week that we're able to share our life with, to calm them down, to prevent a possible Sandy Hook, but you don't know the heartbreak and the hurt of the people that you're facing sometimes and are encountering with on a daily basis. And so you don't know what God is preparing you for. So three things this morning I think will be some practical things that we can pull from uh, some deep passage here that's talking about uh, some heavy stuff, but I want to see some things. So the first question that Matthew begins to, to illustrate here is, you know, what path are you on? You know, what road are you on? He says there's two roads and two gates, two ways to get there. There's the broad the big easy gate to get through, the broad road. And then there is the narrow gate and the narrow path. And, and I kind of um, illustrate it to um, the um, interstate system. You know, here is you know, just the easy road to get on. You know, you're going down the road. and This is um, about 7.30 in the morning, so obviously this is Atlanta. This is going south to West Point. You have very little traffic. And then here's the narrow road, some of the side roads that you can get onto. You know, you've got to get off the big path, you know, off the main road to, to find some of these trails and some of these parks and some of these treasures around where the narrow road is. And I've done a lot of hiking this year, and here's some of the narrow paths that I've been on. Um, this is Cloudland Canyon, and then this is um, Victoria Springs State Park, and this is another view from Cloudland Canyon. Um, I believe that's Chattahoochee Bend, kind of the, let's see if we're sinking up here. This is High Falls. And then that's down in Savannah. And then that's Lake Hartwell, the last picture there. So here's what I want you to get out of, of this passage where he's talking about uh, these two paths. Because it's about the path in your own and where it's going. And so the bottom line here and, and what I want you to look at and get a, t- walk away with this morning is the path your own determines your destination. Now, that seems like common sense, that the road that we're on, the path we're on, the direction we're going is going to determine our destination. But I I encounter a lot of people that are just kind of going through the motions of life and going through life and don't realize that the path they're on is is getting them somewhere. And they're not sure where they're going and how they're getting there or where they're going to get. But the bottom line, and this is what Matthew's saying, is that somewhere or the other, that path's going to lead you somewhere. He says that the broad road leads to destruction and the narrow road leads to life. He says few find it. It doesn't say that it's hard to find. He said that few will find it because you've kind of got to look for it. You've got to make some decisions about going through the gate, getting on the right path. The Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So if I begin to think about where am I going, how am I going to get there? That road, that path, it leads to that destination. Someone says this, and, and I love the picture that it illustrates here about where I'm going and who I'm following and where I'm walking. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the com- company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither but whatever they do prospers. You know, Psalm is saying this. Uh, it's important about where we're going, 
and where we're standing and where we're sitting and where we're taking up residence because that path is our destination. And when we get there, we become part of those around us. And he's saying, you've got to be careful you know, uh, about the people that you're on that path with and that road with and, and where it's going. And there's a, a good outcome and, and then there's a bad outcome. And I know a lot of people that will get in places in life and they go, you know, I never dreamed I would do something or I would get there or this was going to happen to me. But then you kind of look back at the circumstances and the associations and the direction that they were going with their life. And it's kind of like Peter saying on the night that Jesus was, before Jesus was crucified, Lord, I would never forsake you. And then just a few hours later, he's doing that. But if you look at this passage um, in Luke, you see that progression that the writer of Psalms is saying. It says, then seizing him, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. But Peter followed at a distance. And what he was doing, he was following that crowd of those that had come to seize Jesus that were stirring things up. And he followed him at a distance. And it says that, um, and when they um, had kindled a fire in the courtyard, he was standing there with them and they kindled that fire. He said he sat down with them by that fire. He took up residence. So that progression of movement that Psalm is, is talking about, sitting down with the mockers. And he's sitting there by that fire with people that he didn't know, that he wasn't in association with, that weren't like him. And when the servant girl says, you're one of his disciples, I've seen you with him, he answers and says, no, I don't know him. And so, you know, Peter started down a path that was different than the one he had been on. And the associations, and, you know, he, he followed along with him, and he stood there, and then he sat down with them. And that's what the psalmist is warning about. He says, you know, that we can't follow after those sinners. We can't sit down with the scoffers and the mockers and then expect to be able to react differently, to have a different fruit in our life. He says, but blessed is the man who meditates on the Lord's word day and night. He's like a tree planted by the rivers whose fruit is produced in season. So that kind of leads into that next passage. Um, let me drop into this a second. Your path determines your destination. Here's a few helpful items for the narrow road. One thing is you've got to prepare for that journey. Most of the times when I'm getting ready to go do some hiking, and I'm not an avid backpacker. I don't hike and carry everything with me and camp and hike. Yeah, I'm a day hiker. You know, I kind of go out and then come back to my nice camp near the bathhouse and you know, kind of go out from there. But I'll have my map. I've, I've got a, a great GPS that I use, um, and I can still get lost in the woods easily. And, um, you know, those are some things that are prepared. The, the other day I was getting ready to do just what I thought was a short hike into the woods was the description on this geocache that I was going to do. And so it's my lunch hour. It's down at West Point. I go over to the lake and I find the trailhead. And I'm in my um, dress shoes and my dress casual. And I did have my walking stick with me and my GPS. And I start hiking. And two miles later, I'm still kind of wandering in the woods, <laughs> not prepared for the hike, muddy shoes, pouring sweat, horrible mosquitoes. I did find the geocache and then wandered out and found out where I should have gone into the short trail. So you kind of have to know ahead of time the trail that you're on. And, you know, God's word begins to point that out. And Psalm says this, since your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. When you're hiking and you're walking in the dark, you've got to have that directional light that's, that's showing that next step to keep you from stepping on the snake or the rock or the boulder or the root. But you also have to illuminate where you're going. And he's saying God's word does that both of those for us. It's, it's showing us what the next step is. And sometimes that's all you can see in life is I just got to put one foot in front of the other. And that's where we call trust and faith. 
You know, that whatever you're going through, sometimes it's just taking that next step and God's Word's illuminating that. And then it's that big picture of where we're going. He's saying that, you know, the eternity, you know, the hope that we have there at the end. And then Psalm 23 really talks about being on that narrow path and walking through that shadow of death, you know, that, that hard journey. But he says his rod and his staff is with me. And one of the things I found is um, I, I have to have a hiking stick because wearing glasses, especially bifocals, you stumble around a lot. You know, but, you know, this kind of helps you get sure-footed. And there's two things that he's describing here. You know, the rod and the staff, and the staff is like that walking stick. But the rod is for self-defense. You know, it was a shorter stick, you know, kind of a club-like thing. And use that for the wolves and the, whatever was coming after you. You know, so he's saying that God has, you know, given us some of these things to, to use for that hike. So it's preparing for that hike. Now, he doesn't say that we're on that road by ourselves, he said, you know, if you find it, but it's important to have people with you. You know, you shouldn't swim alone. You shouldn't hike alone. You know, there's several things in life that, you know, that common sense sometimes tells us that we shouldn't do alone. But hiking is one of those things that, man, for your safety, it's better to have people around you. But you've got to kind of have them all same, focused on the same direction. I was hiking um, last weekend. There's about four guys that I hike with on a regular basis. And we had um, been about two miles in the woods, and we were coming back on a loop trail. And we were hiking along, and all of a sudden we come out on the road, and we all look around, and it's like, this isn't where we started. <laughs> and the two guys that were in the front were talking, and we got to the split trail, and they went to the left when we should have been to the right. But we all just kind of followed them. You know, and so we turn around and have to hike back in and find our way. So the people that we're around have got to be focused on the right direction, too, because the path you're on determines your destination. So maybe this week you need to look at the path that you're on. What are the warning flags in your life that you're on that wide, broad, easy road? What are the things that are helping you identify, yeah, I'm on that narrow path, I'm on the right path? Then he moves into the fruit of your life tells the truth of your life. Uh, this is kind of an eye-opening passage here. He said, you know, that there are people that are preaching and teaching, but, man, they are, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're out to devour you. He says, but you're going to look at the fruit of their lives, and you're going to know the truth about them. You know, these are religious leaders that he was talking about here. And so we kind of look in our day and age, and I'm not sure that we have religious leaders that are trying to devour us. But I think there are churches, there are people that are in religious positions that I'm not sure that the fruit of their life matches what they're saying. But for me, what is the practical application for me? What is the fruit of my life telling about the truth of my life? He says, you know, are you going to pick, you know, uh, figs from a thorn bush? You know, uh, Jesus is doing some cutting-edge teaching here because, you know, there wasn't a lot of humor in the teachings of the the priests and the religious leaders. And and Jesus is using things that they're very aware of. And they're kind of chuckling, no, you're right, I I wouldn't do that. I've got a couple of fruit trees in my yard. I've got two pear trees, and I'm kind of frustrated with them. Um, They're about six years old, so they're the age where they should start bearing fruit. Last year, I got one pear off of the two trees. I was excited. I took a picture of it, you know. I kind of guarded it all summer long because nothing's going to get that. And I picked that one pear. And then I didn't get to eat it because somebody else ate it, you know, with it sitting there. I, I was going to can it. I was going to do something with it. Um, so this year I thought, oh, man, I'm going to have a bumper crop of pears. Neither one of the trees have pears on them this year. So I'm probably going to cut them down this year and plant something else that's more effective with that. But he's saying that we've got to look at what's going on in our lives, you know, that that it's the fruit that is going to tell us. So what is the fruit of our lives? 
Yeah, uh, there's several passages that talk about what our lives should be producing and what we should be doing. And Galatians is kind of that classic chapter that contrasts, you know, that, that good fruit and that bad fruit. He's saying that a good tree is not going to bear bad fruit and a bad tree is not going to bear good fruit. And here's that contrast. Galatians 5:22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if I'm looking for that good fruit in my life and I'm trying to look at what the fruit of my life is saying about myself, is that the things that I'm practicing? Is that the things that the Holy Spirit's doing in me? Is that the work that God's doing to take those rough edges off me, to make those changes? And then in contrast, he says, but the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, democracy, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I begin to look at where the, my life is focused and the fruit that's being produced. And so that is going to tell the truth of my life, you know, what, what's going on there. The fruit of your life tells the truth of your life. First Peter, or Second Peter 1, 5 through 9, talks about some things that we can choose to practice. Here are the practical things that I can begin to add to my life that I can work on doing that's going to help produce that fruit as the Holy Spirit works on me, as, as I'm grounded in God's Word, as I'm focusing on these things. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. So if I want the fruit of my life to tell the truth of my life, and my life wants to be productive and effective, these are the things that he's saying for this very reason, make every effort to add these things. This is what Antoinette Tuff was doing this past week. She was adding to her life the things that were going to help her in the hardest situation of her life. She said that everything about her life that God had been doing was preparing her for that moment in time. And so in the morning she said, you know, that they were talking about being grounded in God's Word. And if you watch the interview, um, I, I don't watch CNN a lot. It's not my favorite news um, place to get my news. But they were interviewing her, and she says that, uh, they said, how were you so calm in the face of a gunman standing there firing off bullets? And she goes, well, this is what my pastor meant by being grounded in God's word, that I could trust God to stay calm when I'm falling apart on the inside. You, know, and she, you listen to her voice, and as she talks and engages this guy, she said, you know, that there's a calmness there, that peace that passes understanding. And so I can't have some of these things when I need it in the game if I haven't been on the field practicing it during the practices. And so that is what our quiet time is about. You know, I begin to, to, you know, I'm going to commit that, man, I'm going to practice self-control this week. My tongue is probably the thing that I have to work with to self-control. <laughs> you know, I say things sometimes before I should, you know, my mom would say, you know, you should think about it before you say it, you know, engage your brain before you engage your mouth. You know, uh, those are, uh, you know, there's a lot of passages that talk about, you know, your tongue. Or is it your temper? Or what is it this week that I'm really going to work on that I'm going to allow God to get it under control so that in the right circumstance I'm, I'm able to do something with yeah, so that my life can be effective and productive. And then he begins to, to move into this passage of Matthew seven twenty one through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I have heard that passage preached all kinds of ways. Hellfire and brimstone and you can't ever be sure of your salvation. You've always got to be on guard. And, and, and it's not what he's saying here at all. You know, he's saying it's all about doing what you were called to do. And not what everybody else is doing or what the flash church is doing or, or what the, the big movement is. Because he's saying it's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there is a universal will for all of us from God. And that is, you know, that we are in relationship with him, that we've received our salvation, that we are making disciples of other people. But there's a personal daily will that he has for us, a, a plan and a purpose. And that plan and purpose is different for each one of us because he's uniquely created us very differently. And so what he's saying here is, man, you know, there are people that are getting on this bandwagon of doing some miracles or driving out demons. And they're doing that because, man, that is the big show in town right now. He's saying, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah. It's not about doing what somebody else is doing. It's doing what you're called to do. It's obedient to God for your life and where you're calling him. And... First Peter uh, kind of begins to put it like this. And this is where we need to be focusing as a church. And this is part of who we are. It says, First um, Peter 4, 9 through 11 says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Evidently, Peter had visited some of the churches that I've been at previously. <laughs> and you've been to some of those churches. You can name these people that he's talking about in the kitchen at the church that runs the kitchen ministry or the hospitality ministry, but you dare not put the pot in the wrong place. You, you, you don't leave the dirty towel. <laughs> Thank God here at Tri-Cities, we've got a different type of hospitality mentality. Miss Rose and uh, Vivian, I, I don't think I've ever heard them. Stacy and Jenny, my wife, and of course she never grumbles. Um, uh, <laughs> but he's talking about heart stuff again here. and Sometimes it's hard to offer hospitality and it's inconvenient and it can be messy and often it's unappreciated. And he's saying, you know, do these things without grumbling. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's interesting. He's saying God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so he's saying this, man, as we seek to serve one another, God's glorified with that. As we begin to express God's grace in its various forms, that's going to look a little differently for each one of us. You know, as I begin to find what I love to do, where I want to serve, you know, it, it's going to look a, a little bit different how we, how we put that into practice. He's saying that whatever spiritual gift we have and uh, whatever ability we have, we're to use that for something. I was working with our high school boys um, at um, Christ Church a few years ago, and my son was in the group, and a couple of his friends were in the D group, and we had done our, um, our strength quest, which is a, a great way to start out finding what some of your strengths and abilities are. And we identified some of our top strengths, and our, our goal during that week was to find some ways to allow God to use your strength in 
interfacing with people during the week. And one of my strengths is empathy. And I can talk to someone and kind of feel what's going on and, and can kind of respond to that. And I was in Home Depot and I was loading some bricks up. And I was putting some bricks in my buggy and this older lady um, pulled her buggy up. And she goes, hey, can you load me about three of those big square pavers? She goes, I've hurt my shoulder and I can't lift them. And, of course, empathy first. It's, oh, I could, I could feel her pain, as she talked about. I said, I'll be glad to do that. And as I'm putting, you know, the, the bricks into her buggy, I said, what did you do to your shoulder to hurt it? And she looks at me and she goes, well, my husband passed away from Alzheimer's, and I wore my shoulder out taking care of him. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I know that was hard. And she goes, well, you know, the hardest thing was this, that I'm still dealing with is my husband didn't know who I was there at the end. And so discernment and empathy are just one of those spiritual gifts that I practice. And I, I looked at her and I said, I, I know people with Alzheimer's, and, and you need to know this. They may not have, he may not have known who you were, but he knew someone was there that was loving him and taking care of him. And, you know, she kind of teared up. She goes, I really needed to hear that. Thank you. We kind of went on our way. And I was sharing that with my D group when we were back about how I'd use one of my strengths in, you know, helping somebody. And my son looks at me and goes, well, Dad, um, who carried him out to her car and unloaded him in her car? And, and who got those bricks out of her car when she got home? <laughs> the way he would express God's grace in its various forms, he's an activator. He's got to be doing. He would have taken those bricks out to her car. He would have taken them home. He would have put them in place. Now, Josh is the organizer, and he would have got a whole team over there, and they would have done a yard in her house, and, you know, and Stacy would have got a meal together. <laughs> yeah. And one of the other boys in our D group, he's kind of a prayer warrior. He says, well, Mr. Walker, did you lay hands on her shoulder and pray for healing? And I said, no, that is your, that's the way you would have expressed grace. And so we can look at a situation and who we meet, and we'll all respond to it in different ways. And God is meeting the needs in different ways. And that's what this passage is about. And of all the things that he's saying, and when we look at um, Hebrews 10.24, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Yeah. How do we think about it? How do we inspire each other? How do we push? How do we motivate? How do we kind of give that swift kick? Because that's what spurs are used for. And of all the things in the scriptures that he's saying we could be doing, it's how do we push each other towards love and good deeds? Serving one another, serving our community, serving the world. Because out of those love and good deeds, he's saying that people will come to know God. The compassionate heart of God. And so as we begin to, to wind down the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching some powerful things here, and he's doing some creative teaching, but he's, he's making them think here. And they get to the end of the passage, and, and they look at Jesus and go, we have never heard anybody teach like that. Now, I'm hoping you're saying that this morning. Wow, I've never heard anybody teach like that. Maybe you're saying that. as like, Lord, I've never heard anybody teach like that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's how you say it sometimes. But this is kind of what we need to be looking at this morning. It, it's about doing what we're called to do. When you became a Christian, God gave you salvation and a hope of eternity. But that's not all he gave you. you know, and, and I know a lot of people that, that think that's it. It's, you know, kind of where they're going to end up. And the path is going to determine where you end up. But there's a plan for your life now, a purpose for your life. He's given each of us the opportunity to serve others and make a real difference in someone's life. And when you serve others in Jesus' name, that's called ministry. So you're all ministers. There are full-time paid ministers at this church. I'm not one of them. But Jamie and, and um, Wesley are. But, man, we look at each other as ministers. And as we begin to serve, 
We look for those opportunities. You know, um, I came from a church in Savannah that was running over 8,000 people now, and they've always had the philosophy of if God's laid something on your heart and you go to the leadership and go, uh, you know, I'm concerned about the senior citizens in our church. There's things going on. There's a group of women that are hiring a contractor, and they're having to pay him $50 an hour to come in and change light bulbs and air filters. We could take care of that. So the elders tell this lady, well, why don't you kind of research what the needs are, what we can do, and how we can equip a ministry to do that. Fifteen years later, she is on staff full-time as the seniors minister leading the Helping Hands ministry. So I was kind of sharing that with Jamie. because, well, this is our philosophy. If somebody comes to the leadership of this church, you know, God has really given me a heart for the homeless in this town or, or, or the children in Ecuador. He said, we're not going to equip you for a new ministry. We want to get you plugged in with an effective ministry. That's what's wonderful here in Atlanta. There are so many groups that are doing things, and some of them for good reasons and some of them for humanitarian reasons. And I think this is one of the things Jesus was talking about. Man, there are people in groups that are building houses for the homeless all over this town. But they may not necessarily be doing it for Christian reasons. But as a Christian, as part of that organization, as God has laid that on my heart to get plugged in, man, I bring that Christian element into it. And when we were doing Paint the Town a few weeks ago, you know, it was the Tri-Cities Church that was kind of that heart of Jesus in a ministry, our, our, our organization that was put together by the city, non-religious reasons to take care of some of the needs, needs need to be taken care of. But man, when we begin to partner with that, we infuse that spiritual thing. We open our heart. Because this is some things that are important. Um, uh, 40 Days of Purpose, if you've never read that book, I would encourage you to get it because it's life-changing. And there's a whole section here uh, where they're talking about how God has shaped you for ministry. And if you want to begin to ask yourself some questions of, where can I begin to serve this week? And what is it that God's equipped me to do that's uniquely different? Where can I do something to impact somebody else? And, and it talks about how God has shaped us. You know, look at our, your spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, uh, you know, talk to some leadership here. And they can kind of direct you into some passages to look at, some um, surveys to take that will help you with that. Your strength quest, I'm a big component of that because it helps identify some concrete things about yourself. But the spiritual gifts, what is your heart? What are you drawn to? You know, we're in a few weeks, we're working with um, the beloved ministry, and there are people that, man, their heart is just drawn to those hurting women. Um, I do not like homeless ministry. I'm scared of homeless people. I do not volunteer to do homeless ministry. God has not called me to a homeless ministry. But there are people in this church that have given their whole life to homeless ministry. I know people that go to Haiti every time they're on spring break because God has given them a heart for Haitians. Meredith Carpenter's with us, and in next, in next month she's moving out to Arizona to move on to Indian Reservation to minister to Native Americans. You know, God has given her a heart for that. So what is it that God's just kind of giving you that passion about? Is it old ladies? Is it rocking babies in the nursery? Is it cleaning that kitchen after service? You know, it's finding that. What are your abilities are you an organizer? Are you an accountant? I know someone that runs one of the biggest accounting firms in Savannah. And his ministry with his ability is he does the premarital counseling for young couples and how to do a budget. So how do you use your abilities, what you've been trained to do or what you can naturally do for ministry? And this is your personality. Yeah? There are those with that up front, want to meet everybody, greet everybody, talk to everybody, personality. And there are those that kind of want to stand in the back corner and just speak to one or two people, introverts and extroverts, relators and woos. And, you know, God's wired us all differently. And so, you know, he's not, you know, 
wired me to do what Jamie's able to do or Wes is able to do. We all kind of do that differently. And then your experiences, good and bad. What life experiences have you had that you've gone through that has happened to you that God can use? And this was the hook that Antoine Tuff had this week. Because the guy goes, I don't care if I die. It's not worth living for. I have nothing to live for. She goes, that's not true. Last year when my husband left me, I wanted to commit suicide. And she just began to tell one of the worst experiences of her life. And she goes, this is how I've got through it. And this is where I'm at today. And so what are those horrific, hard, I mean, just those things that you've been through that God's going to use to minister to somebody else? You know, and sometimes that healing that we go through is part of it is knowing God can use it when we put it out there and share it. So if I'm looking at practical things this week that I can begin to, to percolate on, to, to meditate on, to use in my quiet time, that can begin to equip me to do some things. I kind of need to examine that path. You know? Am I on the path that's going to lead me to the destination where I want to be? You know, who are the people that I've surrounded myself with on that path? Are they ones that are encouraging me and spurring me on and pushing me on? Um, what's the fruit of my life saying? Is there a lot of bitterness in my life? Is there a lot of anger? Is there a lot of pain? Is there a lot of hurt? Maybe there's some things that you need to talk with a counselor about and do some healing. Now, I was in Florida a few years ago, and um, it was during the height of orange season. An older gentleman was um, talking about the fields they had. and go. Uh, he started talking about all the different types of orange trees. He goes, well, let me take you on a tour of my orange grove. And two hours later, we're still touring orange trees. I never knew there was so much about orange trees. But he took me out to a place um, that was roped off with yellow tape. He goes, this is where my family comes to pick our oranges. My father planted these over 60 years ago. He goes, it will be the most incredible orange you've ever tasted. And he took that orange and he cut it in half and kind of cut it this way so that the bottom half had been hanging down where all the sugar had settled. And it was the sweetest orange I'd ever tasted. And he said this, he goes, the older the tree, the sweeter the fruit. And the older we are as Christians, the sweeter the fruit ought to be in our lives. So as I look at my life and the fruit, is it bitter, is it hard, is it immature? And maybe I need to do some changing and let the Holy Spirit change some things there. And this doing what you're called to do. How do I begin to find that unique place? And how do I try on some of those things? You know, we do a lot of different things here at the church in outreach and volunteering for those things. And you'll volunteer for something and go, that's not for me. I went on an overseas mission trip one time and go, that's not for me. I was homesick the whole time. I was miserable the whole time. I was crying every day. <laughs> it was not for me. But I know people that have gone on short-term overseas missions that are on the mission field full-time. We've gone to the mountains of North Georgia where there's such poverty and worked with old people. In there. And I love that. I'll jump on that wagon anytime. But, you know, you're going to try some things. You're going to volunteer for things. Go, That's not for me. But you're going to volunteer for something, and God is going to get your heart and go, that's what I want to do every Sunday. That's what I want to do every week. So, you know, as you're trying to find what it is that you're called to do this week, let me encourage you to, to get involved in some of the ministry, some of the outreach, some of the different things that are going on. So this is really a passage that's talking about some introspective and looking at what's going on in our lives. Because we can fake it a lot. I think as Christians, we've learned to do that well. You know, all of you have had that experience of fighting all the way to church, not my family, you know, arguing and fussing, and you get in the parking lot, and what do you do? You put on the smiles, and you suck it up, and you go in like nothing's happened, you know? <laughs> One Sunday, I'd like to walk in and go, you know, my wife and I had a knockdown drag out all the way to church, you know? <laughs> and, you know, we're an authentic community here, and I feel like I could do that. 
Yeah, I drove myself in today, so it was peaceful and quiet. <laughs> um, you know, we're in authentic community with each other where we can begin to find those things and get plugged in. You know, we were talking today about um, city groups and small groups. And, man, that's where we do small ministry together, where we can kind of spur one another. We can help each other. We can share those hurts. We can, we can do those things. This morning, as we transition into our communion time, it's that time to really examine our heart. And one of the things, if you'll pray it, that God will do is he will kind of open your eyes to your heart. So maybe this morning you need to say, you know, God, take the scales off my eyes and show me my heart. What fruit is am I producing? What's going on? And not as a guilt-ridden time, but as a time realizing that, man, because of the power of the resurrection, God can resurrect the fruit of your life. Because of the power of the resurrection, he can resurrect the deadness of your heart. Because of the power of the cross, he can empower you to look in the face of a killer and stay calm. Or in the face of an angry customer and stay calm. Or in the face of an ungrateful child and stay calm. (laughs) Or a husband or, or, or whatever. It's because of the power of the resurrection that it can change the things that he's talking about here so severely. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll go into our time of communion. There are just four stations set up, and and you can go when you're ready and and prepare your heart. Father, we thank you that you love us, that um, even though we read these passages and it sounds so scary, that we know that you're patient with us, that you don't give up on us, and you are waiting for that crop of, of good fruit in our lives. And it's not that we've got to do it. We've got to partner with you, and your Holy Spirit does that through us. But, Father, help us to realize there is a warning here of being unproductive and improductive and, and about the wrong things. And Father, we just pray this morning that as a, a congregation that your Spirit just moves on us and opens our eyes and our hearts to our own community to where we can reach out and where we can make a difference. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.